Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to start off a little bit differently than I did um, earlier because I'm amazed. My favorite word. So the last, um, the first one I spoke at, I didn't realize what um, Pastor Greg was going to talk about. Um, so one of the things I mentioned in, in my message was about the power of prayer. And lo and behold, Greg gets up and he starts speaking and he starts talking about the power of prayer and I'm sitting in the back going, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm looking up like this thinking, well, God's everywhere. He doesn't miss an opportunity, not even for a minute. So you have to remember I'm, um, I'm a rookie. I've only been a Christian for a year and a half and so things are amazing to me sometimes. But anyway, I'll start by saying I was, uh, I became a Christian about a year and a half ago, and my daughter and her husband came home um, for Christmas and said, so mom, we have to go, we have to go to um, church. So she found this, the HCC, on the internet, and off we came, and uh, it was a very nice, really nice here. We were made feel very welcome. And then when we went home that evening, um, my daughter gave me a present to open early, and it was a Bible. Like a Bible? Why are you... And a beautiful letter, okay, for me to keep an open mind and an open heart. And, but I still really had no idea where is this coming from. Little did I know what was about to happen. So she goes home, and she said, Mom, I want you to promise me that you'll continue to go to church. I said, okay, sweetie, I promise. So I came for a few weeks. Um, I was driving home one day, and I just said, God, could you give me um, a sign that I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this, what, what am I doing here, a sign that, that I'm doing it right? And um, I didn't realize what can happen when you ask God for a sign, but anyway, I was about to find out. So I came um, to a service, I don't know if it was the next week or the following week, and Greg was up here speaking about what it takes to run a church and how much goes into it, all things that I was totally unaware of. I've never been involved in anything like this before. And I guess I had a, what was called an awakening while I was sitting here, and thank heavens I was sitting because if I was standing, I'm sure I would have been knocked right off my feet at what had happened. And in, in that instant, I just, it's hard to describe, but in that instant, I knew that my, um, my life had changed and it was about to change and that my heart had been opened and something unbelievable had happened. So I left the service and on my way home, I started to cry. I absolutely had no idea what this entailed, but fortunately for me, I landed in a very good um, church because there's all kinds of people in place here to help you understand what's going on. Um, and I definitely uh, had a lot of help, and that led to me being baptized probably a few months, a couple of months after that. So the day after um, I'm baptized, um, the Holy Spirit moved in and was just cleaning house, okay, and teaching me some lessons and but I really, I'm, I, I have no idea what is going on. So this is where I learned how to talk to God. Um, I just, what, what is this? What does this mean? What are you doing? And to my great surprise, he talked back. 
okay? And that's how I started learning to talk to God and him coming back, getting back to me through himself, the Holy Spirit, through Pastor Greg, through people in life group. I was constantly, constantly, always talking, him talking back. Um, So it's been quite an amazing journey. And then in um, April past, my husband and I had a quite a blow um, with his health. My husband was diagnosed with ALS. So to, to say that I was reeling, that the both of us weren't reeling, is an understatement. And um, I, you know, I took a blow spiritually because I actually am so new and so young at, at this particular thing. I'm not young. Um, at this particular thing that I took a tumble Okay, and I just didn't understand any of this, and you know, where is God in this? It did, certainly didn't feel like God was with me at all. And you know, I reached out to somebody and said, "Where is he?" And they explained to me, "He is there. It's just you can't hear him right now." And I definitely did learn. Um, I learned many things, but one of them is too is that you, I, you can't hear God when your head is cluttered like that, when your head is so full of the negative, the, sor- the pain, it's full of it, and God can't get through to you. But I didn't know that at that time. I didn't know a lot of things at that time. And then, so he's, you know, I, um, I got angry, and I just shut it down. I said, that's it. I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't need God. I was angry at the whole world, and God happened to be right there, and how dare me get angry with him, but I did, and he took me back after I, I did that. So I stayed angry like a little kid for a little bit, and then when I went to try to get back, in his, get back I, I didn't know what to do. All I could say is help, and slowly but surely, he did help me um, try to get back on my feet again, and um, it was... Well, it was quite a process, and what I learned, that I learned many things. I learned that um, what I was learning previously about faith, here's where it gets tested. There's, here's where your faith. So now I've learned a huge lesson about how you can step forth in faith, and the other big one that he showed me time and time again is that he's in control, okay? And then when you realize that, it can make what Richard and I are going through so much more manageable because you, and so you don't look to the you can't look to the future you just have to stay here and realize God's got it okay so now going back to the beginning of where I said to you I was I asked him for a sign it took me probably a year or a little more to realize that God was just waiting for me that's what happened. So the minute I reached out to him, he just went and grabbed me, okay, and said, here you go. So if that's what he did for me, well, I believe today that he is wants somebody or more than one person out there also. So we have, we come to church and we pray, and we do these things, but I, he wants that closeness, that closer relationship. So he's reaching out today to somebody. Many people, one I don't know, but he's reaching out. 
Um, and he's using me to reach out to you and tell you the experience I had and that maybe, just maybe, somebody here will see that. And that's what I was here today to say. And thank you very much for your time. And here's Peter. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Debbie's journey so far. Lord, I'm already learning things from her, and she could have never imagined that a year ago that, that she could be discipling me, but such is the joy of serving in your kingdom. Right now, Father, I do ask that her words will fall on at least one heart here, and there will be a transformation. There will be an awakening, just like it was for her a year and a half ago. And I also pray right now, Father, that just as in a year and a half ago, you used Brother Greg and his words to reach Debbie, that you use his words now. They're your words, but to reach a heart that's open and receptive, that there would be a breakthrough for somebody here. We pray this now in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's all yours, Greg. Thank you. What is prayer? It's communication with God. It's entering into a conversation with the one who created this universe, the one who would be considered to be our king. And it's also listening to his will for our lives as well. And here are some prayers that were written by children as letters to God. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? Honest question. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't keep, kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can't do it. <laughs> Dear God, in Sunday school, they told us what you do. Who does it when you're on vacation? And then, dear God, are you really invisible or is it just a trick? Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> a little frustration in that prayer. <clears throat> and then, dear God, please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. <laughs> Pretty honest. And then, dear God, we read in school that Thomas Edison made life. But in Sunday school, they said, you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. And then this last one. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was so cool. So how do you see prayer? Some see prayer as asking for something that couldn't possibly happen anyway. But I'm going to go ahead and say it, even though I know I'm not going to get my answer. Others see prayer as being like their own personal vending machine. You put in the right amount of money, you push the right buttons, and you're going to get exactly what you want. So you just say the right things, and you're going to get the response you're looking for. Others look upon prayer as a religious exercise. And maybe you grew up in a church where you were taught to say the same prayers at the same time each day, it was a ritual that you went through, and there was no heart involved in those prayers. They weren't personal at all. 
And then there are those who don't think prayer is effective at all. And they may even cite examples of when they prayed for something and never got an answer. Like that little guy that prayed for a, a puppy and got a baby brother instead. The In Jesus' example prayer found in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, Jesus prays for things in a specific order for a reason. Because Jesus' prayer has a lot to teach us about our priorities. Because have you ever started a prayer off like this? Dear God, I need this. Dear God, I need that. You jump right in with your list of things. Father, heal me of this. Father, provide me with this. God, if you could just do this for me. And it's all about ourselves. But Jesus puts our needs actually below praying that his holiness would be revealed. He puts our needs after praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be revealed in our lives. And the order matters because Jesus clarifies that in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. But sometimes we look at our needs and they just seem to be so big. But when we look at them from God's perspective, they're not that big at all. And even when we are looking at it from God's perspective and we're putting God's kingdom first, we're putting his will before our own, those needs can still be huge. So when we have a God-sized vision, it comes with a God-sized need. And we might wonder, like, how are we going to accomplish this? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. So in the middle of a somewhat puzzling event, Jesus makes a startling statement concerning prayer. Like Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. It's his triumphant entry. We refer to it as Palm Sunday. And he cleansed the temple for a second time. He got all those people that were selling and, and changing money into the temple currency and ripping people off. He got all of them out of there. And he said, this is going to be called a place of prayer. This is my house. And during that week which preceded his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus stayed in Bethany with his disciples, and they traveled to Jerusalem every day. And the event described in our scripture passage this morning occurs during one of those trips between Bethany and Jerusalem. So we're in Matthew 21. Early the next morning, as Jesus was going back to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a fig tree beside the road, Jesus went to it, but there were no figs on the tree, only leaves. So Jesus said to the tree, you will never again have fruit. And the tree immediately dried up. And when his followers saw this, they were amazed and they asked, how did the fig tree dry up so quickly? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will be able to do what I did to this tree and even more. You will be able to say to this mountain, go fall into the sea. And if you have faith, it will happen. If you believe, you will get anything you ask for in prayer. So preceding the events of this week, Jesus has been preparing his followers for his exit 
from this world. And he's telling them that he's going to die. But the disciples, they're confused, but they're excited. But then they're also afraid at the same time. And can you just hear the discussion that's going on amongst them? Like, he told us that he's going to die, but then look at the way these people treated him. They treated him as a king as he entered into Jerusalem. Like, it doesn't make sense. So why are we here? Like, what's really going to happen? And why are we traveling back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem every day? And then you look at the Jewish leaders, and they're upset because this temple was their way of making money, and now Jesus messed with all of that. And they're wondering, you know, what's he going to do next? And in the middle of the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders and the floundering faith of his followers, Jesus uses a fig tree to actually teach an important lesson. And it's pretty easy for us to pretend to be living a spiritual life. Like we've got the leaves out there. We look good on the outside. But when people get close to us, maybe they notice that there's not much fruit actually being produced. That there's no proof of that spiritual life. So Jesus says that the reason for lifelessness is a lack of practicing powerful prayer. So let's look at the reality of the power of prayer. Like the simple truth of the matter is that prayer is powerful. Like skeptics might say, oh, it, prayer is just coincidence. You pray and you get the things that you want. But I like what one British pastor said. He said, it's amazing how many coincidences occur when one begins to pray. And the Bible clearly shows the power of prayer right from the start to the finish. Abraham prayed for a son, and God gave him Isaac. The children of Israel, they prayed that they would be released from slavery in Egypt, and God sent them Moses. Moses prayed for deliverance from the Egyptian army as he was standing there with at least a million of these children of Israel with him, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them, and Pharaoh's soldiers are coming after them. But God delivered them across that sea, and he drowned Pharaoh's army. Hannah prayed for a child, and God gave her Samuel. David, he asked for help many times, and every time God came through, he provided. Solomon, he asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him beyond measure. It was just incredible, the wisdom that he had. Elijah asked for a display of God's power when he was in a contest against the pagan prophets on Mount Carmel. And this is what God did. He sent fire so intense that it not only burned up the sacrifice, but it dried up thousands of gallons of water that had been poured over that sacrifice to drench it. Ezra prayed for a safe return to the promised land for God's people because they were in captivity in Babylon. And God not only granted the return back to Israel or the promised land, but the money for the move was supplied from the treasury of pagan people. Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless, and they were praying for a child. And God gave them John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the one who announced the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The people of Israel prayed for a Messiah, 
And God didn't just give them any Messiah. He actually sent his one and only son to come and be their savior. And then Jesus prayed and people were healed. People were raised from the dead. Needs were met. Dramatic things happened over and over again. Five loaves and two fish turned into enough food to feed probably fifteen to 20,000 people. And then the disciples were in an upper room and they prayed and God sent the Holy Spirit. The apostles and the early church leaders prayed and people were healed. Churches were strengthened and the people of God found the strength to face the daily struggles of life. Back in the year 2000, there was a movie in the theaters called Castaway, and it was starring Tom Hanks. And he was playing a character who worked for FedEx. And Hanks was on a plane that was flying over the South Pacific and encountered a storm, and it went down. And he was the only one to survive. So it was actually a, a modern-day Robinson Crusoe. And he made several swims out to the plane wreckage to try and salvage everything that he possibly could. And the story takes place at Christmas time. So this FedEx plane is filled with Christmas presents. And as he's going through the packages, he finds a Wilson volleyball. And he decides he's going to dry it out so he can play with it a little bit. And as he's starting a fire, he picks up a sharp stick and he actually gashes his hand. And he gets so frustrated that he just grabs the volleyball and he throws it as hard as he can. And when he went to pick it up, he looked at it and he realized that his bloody hand had made an imprint in the ball that looked like a fiery head. So then he just kind of took his finger and he started to draw a face on that volleyball. And then he called his new friend, Wilson, and he talked to that ball for the rest of the time that he was on that island in this movie. And we wonder, you know, why did he do that? Why wouldn't he talk to God? But you also have to ask yourself why people trust in all kinds of things rather than God. Like Bill Heibel said this, you can read it with me. He said, prayerless people cut themselves off from God's prevailing power, and the frequent result is the familiar feeling of being overwhelmed, overrun, beaten down, pushed around, and defeated. And that's exactly the way we feel when we decide that we're going to pull away from God or when we decide we're not going to be connected to him in prayer. That's exactly the result. So the reason we don't ask for God's help, the reason that we fail to pray, is that we really don't believe that he can answer that prayer. We don't believe that God has the power to do anything about the situation. And Jesus said that a lack of powerful prayer is nothing more than a lack of faith. We've convinced ourselves that God doesn't care and that he's not going to do anything about it. But God can do something about it. God is very able. He has power over nature. When certain bodies of water needed to be moved, God moved them aside. When his people were hungry, he rained manna down from heaven. When a storm endangered the lives of his disciples, he stopped that storm. He just stood up and he said, peace be still. And the water was calm as possible, just like that. When his army needed more time to win the battle, 
he extended the daylight hours by holding the sun in place. You know, I was thinking, it'd be great if he could do that when I'm out golfing, and it's late in the day, and I'm trying to finish before the sun goes down. Just God just kind of hold the sun up there for a couple more hours. He has the power over circumstances. In Acts chapter 12, James had just been killed, one of the disciples, and Peter had been imprisoned by Herod, and he was going to be executed as well. So the church got together, and they had a prayer meeting the night before he was scheduled to be executed. And an angel came along and miraculously delivered Peter from prison. And then he went to the house where the people were praying, and he knocked on the door, and the person that entered that didn't recognize him at first. And he said, I'm Peter. He goes, well, you can't be Peter. We're in here praying for you because you're in prison. But he had been delivered. The answer had been given. He has the power to change people's hearts as well. He softened Pharaoh's cruel heart. He kept a discouraged prophet by the name of Elijah from quitting. He turned the most fanatical opponent of Christianity named Saul into the most amazing missionary ever by the name of Paul. So God is able and he doesn't change. Look at these verses with me. Malachi 3, 6. I, the Lord, do not change. And then Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God could control nature, if he could alter circumstances, if he could change people's hearts, then he can make a difference in our lives today. He can still do it right here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. He can bring victory in our lives. He can bring victory in our church. And he can bring victory over our problems. So what are the requirements for powerful prayer? Here are some things that need to be in place in order for this to work. Powerful prayer requires submission. So it means that we submit our will to God's will. Someone defined prayer this way. They said it's communicating with God for the purpose of knowing him, seeking his heart, and doing his will. It's putting your ear to God's chest to hear and know his heartbeat. Like when you were a child, do you ever remember doing that with one of your parents? You just put your head right up there. You can hear their heartbeat, and it's you're totally in tune with them, in relationship with them. And that's what God is asking of us. In John 15, the prophet wrote, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If any remain in me, and I remain in them, they produce much fruit, but without me, they can do nothing. So prayer is powerful when we're in that relationship with God. We're no longer just showing a bunch of pretty leaves, but there is fruit that is being produced. And powerful prayer requires faith. It means that we are convinced to the core of our being that God can make a difference. Mark 10, 27 Jesus looked at them and said, For people this is impossible, but for God all things are possible. So a God-sized vision means God-sized needs, but we serve a God who can do the impossible. 
So we must come to God believing that he can do all things. I read about a congregation that was in a mountainous area, and they had been given some land by a member of their church, so they built a brand new building that was big enough for their needs. And 10 days before their official opening, they had a visit from the building inspector. And the building inspector said, based on the size of your congregation and your seating area in your worship center, your parking lot is only half the size that it needs to be. And until you increase the size of your parking lot, you're not going to be able to use this building. So they didn't know what they were going to do because they had used all their land except for this mountain that they had built right up against. So the pastor, he was undaunted, just like we all are. When we were renovating this building in 2011, we, our, the estimate came in way above what we had raised. But I said, we can do it. There's no problem. So he got the congregation together. He said, everyone who has a mountain-moving prayer, I want you to join me at 7 o'clock tonight. And 24 of the 300 people in that church showed up that night and they prayed. And they prayed that God would somehow perform a miracle, that he would move that mountain, that he would get this parking lot paved and that there would be lines on that parking lot in order for them to have their official opening in one week. So at 10 o'clock, the pastor said the final amen And then he said to everybody, I'll see you next Sunday at our official opening. Like God hasn't let us down before when we've prayed to him powerfully. And I don't expect that he's going to let us down this time. The next morning, the pastor's in his office and there's a knock on the door, a loud knock. And in walks this uh, gruff-looking foreman type. And he's taking off his hard hat as he's walking in. He says, look, preacher. Like, we're building a big mall, and we're way short on fill. And I'm wondering if we could take some of your mountain and use it for fill dirt for this mall. We'll pay you for everything that we use, and we'll even pave the area that we clear. And so that you... But here's the key. It has to happen right away. So that following Sunday, they met in their new building, in their new worship center. They had a parking lot that was paved. There were lines on that parking lot. And surprisingly, there were more than 24 people in the church that day who had mountain-moving prayer. So it's amazing what God can do. Now, that word mountain is a figurative term, and it basically refers to whatever is standing in your way. Like we don't actually read in Scripture that Jesus moved a physical mountain, but we read over and over again about circumstances in people's lives that are moved. So how do we accomplish mountain-moving prayer? Like we look at God and not at the mountain. Like we have to take our focus off the size of that mountain in front of us, and we put our focus on God, the one who can move the mountain, I remember two weeks ago, and I talked about Daniel. He had been thrown into the lion's den because he refused to stop praying to God. And he didn't have his eyes on the lions. Instead, he had his eyes on God, on the mountain mover, the one that could take him and keep him safe 
in that situation. There are two amazing Old Testament stories. In Numbers 13, God had promised his people, the nation of Israel, who are wandering in the wilderness. They've now wandered for two years, and he has promised them, you are going to have this special land, this promised land, and it's going to be one that is full of abundant resources. So they arrive at the border of this promised land, and they decide to send 12 men in as spies so that they can just kind of scout out the land and the people just to see what it's like. Ten of them came back and they said, whoa, we're not going to be able to take this land. Like the cities are too big. Like they're fortified with walls. The armies, the people, they're too big. They're giants. Like we better go somewhere else. But two of those men refused to look at the mountains in that way. And they said, yeah, the obstacles are big, but God is able And he told us to go in and conquer the land. So let's do it. But unfortunately, they didn't listen to those two. They listened to the other 10, and they wandered for 38 more years before entering that promised land. And then in 1 Samuel 17, the army of Israel stood on a hill overlooking a battlefield, and their enemy is the Philistines, And every day, their champion, this giant Goliath, man was nine feet tall, he steps out and he pours curses on God and curses on the people of Israel. And he said, if someone comes and fights me and beats me, then the Philistines will bow down to you. And David, a teenage shepherd boy, comes along. He has a care package for his older brothers. And he sees the giant. He hears what he's saying, and he can't stand it. He says, my God is able. He wants this giant braggart defeated, and I'm going to do it. Like, that's mountain-moving faith. Like, every one of us are going to be in the shadow of a mountain that just won't move. It might be a destructive habit that keeps eating away at you, and it just won't go away. It might be a character flaw that just keeps popping up over and over again and causing problems. Maybe it's a difficult marriage and you're trying to make it work, but it's just being horrible for you. Or it could be an impossible work situation. It might be financial problems, problems that just keep getting bigger and bigger. Or maybe it's a physical illness. And you've been plagued with this for some time and it just won't go away. Like, what's your mountain? My advice is to do the same thing that Daniel did. Like, stop looking at the mountain and start looking at the mountain mover. Look at his glory. Look at his power. Look at his faithfulness. Because he promised this in Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And then start walking in obedience and watch that mountain move. 